Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Fountain Church Podcast. Our prayer is that God speaks to you in a real and powerful way. So go ahead, grab your Bible, grab a notepad and your coffee, and let's dive in. Uh, So I've entitled the message this morning. Are you ready for it? Give me a drink. Look at your neighbor and say, give me a drink. Look at your second choice and say, you too, give me a drink. It's amazing how awkward that phrase makes you feel. Like, like every time, when, when, no matter who you are, when you say that, there's something that comes to your mind that makes you feel a certain way. Now, now I, I don't know about you, but, but there's nothing worse than being thirsty. There's nothing worse than being thirsty. You know, we, we are living right now in California. There is a drought And you start to think a lot about water when you see some of the images of our reservoirs. Uh, But this last year, we uh, we went on a staff retreat to Bass Lake. Now, the week or the year before, the water was all the way over here. And you can see these are docks where they put boats. Super dry. It was so perplexing because it happened so fast. I mean, just in a year's time... You can see on the other side the great deficit as well. As if you were to stand on each slope on, on both sides and draw a line across, I mean, the depth of water that has subsided is staggering. It's dry. And I remember looking at it, just feeling that sense of, whoa, like this just doesn't seem to be all right. You kind of feel the limitations right off the, uh, right off the bat of what our experience is going to be. You just know that it's not going to be the same. But obviously, uh, what, what triggers drought is, is the heat. And I, I did a little bit of research, and there was a study done on, on Christians that have grown spiritually dry. And they identified five triggers that normally seem to be the culprits. The first one is a loss of relationship with God. It's kind of like, I believe in you, God. Like, I I still maybe even go to church, but it's not real. And and there's been a decrease, and you feel it in your soul. It's not the same. It's kind of like, you know, an ex-girlfriend, a boyfriend. It's like, maybe got some love for you, but it's just not the same. And and so, and and then there's a loss of orientation, meaning what it, it kind of triggers a a sense of dryness when you're used to going in one direction and things suddenly change. Maybe it's your career. Maybe there was something happened to you personally, and it just kind of disoriented you. And you were used to moving in one direction, but all of a sudden, it's not the same. And you find yourself in a place where you feel dry. The third one was a loss of depth. Like there's nothing really deep in your life. The conversations you're having are very surface. They're not really meaningful. Relationships that you're in, you're not really going beneath the surface. Everything just feels shallow. And there's a sense of dryness that comes with that because we were made for so much more than just going through the motions. We were never meant to exist. We were meant to thrive. And that's what the series is all about is how do we thrive in every season? Uh, Number four was the difficulties within church community. So maybe it's relational or maybe you moved and you just started coming to our church or you know how it feels to go to a new church or be hurt by somebody in church. And all of a sudden it just doesn't feel the same. And you start to sense this distance, this chasm between you and other people who don't feel connected. 
like you used to. There could be a sense of dryness. Those are a lot of external factors. The, the fifth one was all intrinsic. It was all things that are happening on the inside. Like maybe you're overloaded. Maybe there's a lot of uncertainty. You're battling with anxiety and depression. But nevertheless, nobody likes to feel dry. Like when I show you this picture, true story, of our reservoir, one of our reservoirs in California, this is a dated picture as well. It's probably lower than that. It makes us all feel a certain way. I mean, right away, you just start to get a little concerned, a little perplexed. And wow, how could it get so low? It starts to prioritize your water uses. Like, I love to take long showers. I come up with sermons in the shower. God speaks to me in the shower. And now I get in, I get anxiety, like, man, I got to get in, military shower. Get in, get out, got to do my part, right? Conserving water, just mess me all up. It just doesn't feel the same. It just doesn't feel the same. Now, now I, I think some of the effects when we see this, we, we feel the limitation. When, the, when, there's, when things are dry, we feel the limits. We feel the desperation. We, we can feel the sense of hopelessness. We can feel the sense of urgency. We can feel the need to prepare because we're a little bit afraid. We don't know, what, we don't know what's, what's coming. I was at Trader Joe's this week, no water. I was like, hey, uh, normally you guys got a lot of water here. How come there's no water? And he's like, oh, I think we're just donating to like Hurricane Ida and I was like, oh, okay, okay. Like, but you just start to, to get a little nervous. Nothing will drive a drought more than, than fear and more than pain. So I remember leaving Trader Joe's like, I wonder if he's lying to me. I wonder if it's really true. Is it really true? Like fear will mess with your head. A lot of times when we find ourselves in a drought, we find ourselves many times being driven by a spirit of fear because com uh, complacency isn't the only result of dryness. It's also a fear of the future and what it holds. Am I going to be stuck here? Why is life going like this? Am I, is this ever going to change? Is this ever going to happen? You know, there was a study, a recent study done uh, for COVID. And there's been, I know a lot of studies, so don't take me. I'm not a doctor or anything like that. But but the study said that you, if you're, if you're obese, you're, you have a 30% chance more likely to die if you get hospitalized. I was like, okay, I, I, can, I can, you know, that, that seems to, to make sense at some level, right? But then the next one blew my mind. They said that a 28% chance of dying if you're in the hospital if you struggle with fear or anxiety like you're, 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 the chances of you dying increases 28%. I was like, what? That, 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 that statistic didn't exist last year. And so you just see that in the hearts of people, they're feeling afraid. They're, they're, they're feeling a sense of anxiousness. And, and I think what we see with the drought happening in California, sometimes what's happening physically is a prophetic utterance of what's happening spiritually inside the hearts and lives of people. Both spiritually and practically, I think many times we look at our economy right now and there's all the conversation. I just don't really feel secure. Should I keep my money in the bank? Should I not keep my money in the bank? Should I, like, like what, what do I do? Is inflation coming? Is it not coming? Are we going into a drought? Right? We, we think about all these different things, current world events. Look, you like turn the channel, you're like, man, it's a mess. Man, it's broken. Oh, what am I doing? Right? I mean, there's just so much going on. Politics is a nightmare. And those are all the things that are happening on the outside. But what about intrinsically? Like there's nothing that will bring a drought to your soul more than sin. 
and you know it. You're like, man, I'm dried up, and I know why, but I don't want to change it. I just, oh, I just can't let it go. There's maybe some, some destructive habits and patterns that, that you refuse to deal with. Spiritually, you're just feeling like, man, me and God are a little bit distant. Maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe there was an intimacy and a closeness, but you just you don't open your Bible like you did. You don't pray like you did before. Like There's just a little bit of a desert on the inside of you. Maybe everything is going great. And there's no reason for you to feel any of this externally, but inside there's still a drought. And you're like, man, Lord, there's got to be more to life than this. The bottom line is when we experience drought, all of a sudden fear for the future loves to set in. But Paul told Timothy, he reminds him, he says, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power of love and of self-control over, a, or another translation says, a sound mind. It's a mind that's properly prioritized. It's a mind that's the opposite of fear. Paul's like, Timothy, you didn't, you didn't receive a spirit of fear, bro. Like that, that's not the spirit you received. No, you received a spirit that's sound. There's a self-discipline. There's a self-control. There's a, a mind that's prioritized around truth. It's the opposite of cowardice. It's the opposite of, of disorder and confusion. So Paul's like, hey, let's get focused, Timothy, on the gifts that God has given you. Let's, remember, let's not forget the prophetic words that were spoken over your life. Get into gear, Tim. Because Timothy, man, the, the, he's a young man. And he's battling persecution of the Romans, unlike what we experience here. I mean, these guys were getting killed. In the church, the church of Ephesus, was they were bucking up against his leadership, so he's just struggling with the people. And then on, on, top, of, on top of that, he's, he's dealing with false teachers in the region. So Timothy's like, man, I'm tired. Like, there's just so much going on all at one time. And Paul's like, listen... You've been given not a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. See, see, as a follower of Jesus, we're going to hit seasons of drought. But can I just tell you, we are, are, are not called to stay there. We're going to find moments where, where we feel a little bit dry, and it's, it's almost a sign, a warning sign to say, what's going on? And, and, and can I just tell you that, that even when everything is dry around you, it does not have to be dry on the inside of you. Don't take my word for it. Take Jesus's word for it. He said it this way in John chapter seven, verse 37 and 39 says on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up in a loud voice and said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up until that time, the spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So Jesus is like, listen, while it's dry around you, it's not supposed to be dry on the inside of you. That we have access to a well that, that never ends. Can I tell you, it is so important, ladies and gentlemen, that in the day that we're living in, that we are living from a place of fullness. Because so many people around us are thirsty. And if we're empty... We're not trying to fill anybody else's cup because we're so focused on our cup. And so, so it's like sometimes we know this, like, yeah, like it preaches really good, right? Rivers of living water, that sounds so good. It just doesn't always feel that easy to live. And I think sometimes the, the reason that is is it's so easy to get our minds on earth rather than eternity. 
Like, like we want stuff to be fixed now. Remember, the Bible says this world and our life is like a vapor. It's here for a moment and then it's gone. And a lot of times when we get our eyes fixed on earth, it's easy to be driven by a spirit of fear rather than led by the Holy Spirit. And so we find ourselves in place of desolation when the Spirit of God is saying, no, 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 there's a well on the inside of you that you need to tap into again. But, but I, think, I think as we're trying to figure stuff out, you know, a great counselor never tries to make it better because they know that they really can't. You know, Jesus said it very clear. Wouldn't it be so cool if Jesus said, hey, if you come to me, if you come to me and you follow me, it's going to be so easy in your life. Like, we'd love to believe that, right? Like, we would love that. But Jesus said, no, no, listen, um, in this life, whether you follow me or not, you're going to have trouble. It's broken. It's fractured because of sin. We've all experienced it. We've been hurt. We've hurt others. Like, we, we just get the fact that we live in a, in a broken place. But Jesus said, no, no, in this life, you're going to have trouble. Sometimes that trouble is not going to change. But a great counselor doesn't try to make it better. They try to make your perspective better. So that no matter what happens around you, you are looking from a totally different place. And isn't it true that the moment your perspective shifts, so do your feelings? Like, you know, when you judge that person last, you're like, oh, man, I just, I, man, I can't wait to give it to him. And then they tell you the story. You're like, oh, dang. I'm so sorry. Instantly. All of a sudden, that, that anger, that frustration, it goes away because you had judged them. But they gave you the full picture. Your perspective was shifted, and now it's like, oh, okay, okay. Uh, there's, there's a moment in the Bible where um, uh, Elisha, they are surrounded by an army. And his little sidekick is like, hey, man, we're in trouble. He's like, no, no, we're not. He said, Lord, would you open up his eyes to see that there was a spiritual army surrounding the current army? He's like, man, we're going to be fine. Instantly shifts the perspective. So I want to give us some wells to dig and redig. Maybe some of you guys are, are going to dig from these wells. This is going to be your first time. But I really believe that there are many of us that need to redig these wells so that we can drink in a land that's desperately thirsty. And the first one is this. If you're taking notes, shut this down. Is that this is not our home. Heaven and hell, ladies and gentlemen, contrary to popular belief, are real. And they're in the balance. Like heaven and hell, like when's the last time you thought about heaven and hell? Like just, just being honest with yourself. Like when's the last time you thought about the reality as a follower of Jesus that this is not our home? The Bible says it multiple times over and over and over. This is not our, we're not living for this place. We're living to reach people for what's to come. We're living to fulfill the purposes of God in the earth as his hands and his feet. But we are not living for this life. But how many of us really live like that? Like, when's the last time you thought about hell? I know it's not like a fun thing to dwell on every day. Wake up, let me think about hell today. <laughs> but can I just tell you that dramatically changes the way you see people, how you engage the world around you? Like, when you realize that that is a real place. I remember one atheist said it like this. He said, I'm not offended when, when Christians evangelize or tell me about Jesus. I'm offended with their, when they don't. Because if they really believe that hell exists and they don't tell me, how cruel is that? And so, so heaven and hell are, are a reality, but it's so easy to lose sight of that. I mean, we're, we're human, and we got so much stuff going on in our lives, and then we're just not waking up all the time saying, heaven is my destination, and hell is a reality. And, and it's just easy to lose sight. But when you get close to death or you have a scarce, things start to change. Let me show you some atheists and one Gnostic that, that started to reconsider things. 
in regards to the Jesus and the gospel. Christopher Hitchens, a British-American author, he says, if I convert, it is because it is better that a believer dies than an atheist does. But he's an atheist. But on his deathbed, he's like, yeah, I'm just go ahead and make that switch just in case, right? All of a sudden, it starts, you know, the philosophy and the ideologies and, and the ideas and the concepts of, of, of rationalizing God out. All of a sudden, when you are faced with the reality of, of life and death, shifts a little bit. Voltaire, a famous uh, French philosopher, enlightenment writer, historian, and philosopher, he's, he says, I am abandoned by God and man. I will give you half of what I'm worth if you will give me six months of life. Then I shall go to hell and you will go with me. Oh, Christ. Oh, Jesus Christ. You just hear the conflict. I know their writing is a little bit, it's not like plain English, like easy to understand, but, but you just hear the conflict and the contemplation. Uh, Jean-Paul an excellentialist philosopher, he says, I do not feel that I am the product of chance, a speck of dust in the universe, but someone who was expected, prepared, prefigured, in short, a being whom only a creator could put here. And this idea of creating, of a creating hand, refers to God. Now, this was not his belief until he was faced with mortality. And so it's easy for us to, to go about our day when we're not faced with, you know, thinking about death all the time. But, but this is the reality is heaven is our home, and hell is a reality, and that should dramatically change the way we live. In fact, when you're in trouble, where do you go to first? Like, like what is your first in instinct? Is it, we got to fix this? Come on, I know that's mine a lot of times. But look what Jesus said. Jesus said this, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You would think like his next statement would say something like this. So come, let us pray. Come, let us work it out. Come, let me just do a miracle right now. Come and let me fix everything this moment. But he makes it a left, left turn. He says this. He says, my father's house has many rooms. He says, if that were not so, I would have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me that you may also be where I am. What he was doing is saying, I need to fix your perspective. Because your trouble may not go away. And as long as you focus on earth and are distracted from heaven, you're going to be in big trouble. So he doesn't say, hey, let's just fix it right now. I mean, we saw Jesus did miracles, and, and there's a lot of times that, yes, God cares about what we're going through on earth. God cares about those things. I care about those things. But it's not to be the place of dependence. Jesus is saying, man, we're gonna, we're gonna, you're going to have to navigate stuff here on earth, but I want your perspective. I want your focus to be heavenward. Because when our perspective changes, everything changes. How we feel, how we move, how we run how we live, how we engage one another, the game totally changes. Jesus was saying, hey, you want to know what the answer to trouble is? You need an eternal perspective. To prove the point a little bit further, he, he's talking about his second coming here in Luke. He talked about the destruction of the temple a few verses ahead. Now he's talking about what is it going to look like when he or before he returns. It says, there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Look at this. Men will faint from fear and anxiety over what is coming upon the earth. For the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin, what do you do? 
try to figure it all out, try to do, no, 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 no. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your head. Fix your focus, stand up, lift up your head. Why? Because your redemption is drawing near. So he's like, come on, I told you this was going to happen. Lift up your head. And that just doesn't mean we're like all day, like I'm lifting my head. I see the signs. No, no. What, what he's saying is this, get your eyes fixed heavenward. I'm telling you, it changes the way you live. He's like, I'm coming quickly. Your redemption is near. Like, don't just stand there. Like, keep your eyes focused heavenward and live like you've never lived before. Live like you've never lived as my hands and as my feet. It will change the way you run. Can I just tell you this? Listen, when we see home, it will change the way you run. Uh, my, my dog, he is an Italian mastiff. He's a Cane Corso. He's five months, 55 pounds. I'm so proud of that. I'm hoping he's going to get to 120. So I just walk down the street and he's just a boss. <laughs> and uh, it's great conversation starter. People are like, what is that? Why do you ask? Let me take you back to Rome. It's dogs of war. Can I talk to you about Jesus? Yeah, it's just a great conversation starter. Dogs are a great conversation starter. So, but my dog, he, he's 55 pounds now, and he, he's just starting to get all of his training uh, started. Um, and so he's going through a, a weird phase. But whenever I walk him, or Jackie walks him, or the kids walk him, he's cool. Like, he walks good until we're headed home. When we're headed home, he's like, I, I mean, he just, I mean, he's tugging on the, the leash. I'm like, what are you, what, what's wrong with you? Like, at first we just thought, like, he's just really exhausted and wants to go home. But no, it's like he knows when we're going back. And so he's just anxious to get home. He's like, I reckon, I, I don't know, the smell, the mile markers, whatever. But, but we're headed back. We could be a mile and a half away. But he knows we are headed home. And he just, oh, just I have to tug on him like, stop, you're going to break your trachea. Don't, you know, frustrated dog life. But he knows and his eyes are fixed on home and it changes how he runs. I'm just, I'm just telling you, this is a funny story. Yesterday I was taking him for a walk and I'm thinking about my message and all that stuff. It was cool. And, and a squirrel jumps out. And so we always have fun. I'm like, yeah, watch him. Like, let's get him, right? I know we're not going to get him, but it's still fun to, to try. <laughs> So we put them up there, and then we, you know, I kind of run together because I don't want to let them off the leash yet or anything. So we run together, and we get there, and the squirrel just goes up the tree, and he's like this. <laughs> head down, sniffing. I'm like, bro, like, put your, and I even try to put, it, put your head up. He's like, no, I'm putting my head down. I'm like, forget it, bro. Like, the squirrel's right there. You know, so like, the, the prize is right there. But he refused to put his head up. I just wonder how many things that we miss because our heads are down. And he said, you should be looking up right now. Like there's so much opportunity. There's so many things that I want to show you. But your heads are down. Second thing is this. This is not our home. Second thing is this, is that discomfort doesn't mean disaster. Man, we, we are living in a time. It's unlike a time. I'm only, I'm going to be 42 next week. So I'm not, I'm not old. I don't consider myself old. I feel young. I feel young, right? Um, but my body, it just doesn't, it just does not feel the same. It's different. So, so I want you to get, I want you to, to, to get this picture. We, we live in a time now where it's, it's really scary to me because I grew up in a, in a generation, maybe I was like kind of the last of it where it was like no pain, no gain. 
Now it's kind of like if there's pain, there's never gain. So let's just try to stay comfortable. Let's try to stay as far away from pain, make everything smooth and easy, or it's not okay. So we've just kind of have bought into the lie. And can I say, I'm, I'm guilty of it in many areas. That, that's, that discomfort always means disaster. No, it doesn't. It's, it, it does not mean that. You know, we, a, a study has been done recently from the 80s, uh, comparing from the 80s until now. Everything has enlarged and have, has become more comfortable and easier. Like, like, you don't believe me? Go ask your, your grandparents, maybe your great-grandparents, Go ask them what size their house was and how many kids they had. It was like a 900 square feet with 20 kids. <laughs> it's just true. Thought, oh, we did fine. It's, now it's like we got 10,000 square feet with three kids. We're like, man, I don't know. It's, it's kind of stuffy in here. I'm not really sure if it's going to work for us, right? We just, we've grown so, so comfortable. And there's nothing wrong with expansion, but here's the deal. It is the studies have shown that the more comfortable we, we have grown, as our comfort has gone up, our, our unhappiness has decreased. Or, I'm sorry, our happiness has decreased. So we're more comfortable yet more unhappy than we've ever been as a nation. And so, so, so what am I saying? I'm saying that comfort or discomfort doesn't always mean disaster. I, I love what... Tim Bascom said in The Comfort Trap, Spiritual Dangers in the Convenience of Culture, he says, we're too comfortable to be spiritual these days. We think we'll be able to pursue God better without danger or hardship, and yet it works in just the opposite way. Nothing is more difficult than to grow spiritually when comfortable. That's why the believer Alexander Solzhenitsyn's reaction to his exile to the Soviet labor camp was to bless it. Because it was there that he discovered that the meaning of earthly existence lies, as we, uh, lies not as we, have used, as we have grown used to thinking that it's in prospering, but rather in the development of the soul. He said it was because there that he discovered that the meaning of earthly existence lies not as we have grown used to thinking in prospering, but in the development of the soul. It's like, man, how, how do we overcome the enemy of our soul? Like, how do we do that? Can I just tell you, it's really important that we have a plan, not just for what we see, but for what we don't see. Come on, I mean, we plan to protect everything about our earthly life, don't we? I mean, we have insurance. I mean, if you run into somebody's little shopping cart at Trader Joe's, they look at you like, you insured? Are we good? So I just always say it, don't worry, I'm insured. Then they kind of laugh, oh, and we just kind of move on. Uh, but, but there's, there's, there, how, how do, are we really planning for what we can't see? Like, like our, our soul to prosper, do we have a plan for our soul? Do we have a plan as we are living not for ourselves in a place that is not our home? Because the, there's an enemy of our soul that wants to keep us in dry places. And how do we overcome the enemy? We see many times in the scriptures, it doesn't mean comfort. How do we overcome the enemy? Get comfortable. That's just, I just don't see that. Like, let, me, let me show it to you. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. It says, they have conquered him, the enemy, by the blood of the lamb, suffering, and the word of their testimony. Now, we, we sing songs of this, right? Song Caleb. We're like, man, this is awesome. But then they leave out the last part. 
It says, not just the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. For we love not our lives even unto death. That does not feel or seem like a very comfortable life. Are you with me? Now, I'm not a glutton for punishment, so don't get it twisted here. I'm not like, yeah, please, God, I just want to suffer all my life and work on my soul. Like, no, that's not. But what I'm saying is not all discomfort means disaster. I mean, you have the rich young ruler shows up in the gospel of Luke. He's got everything. He is young. He's got authority and power, and he's got a ton of stuff. He shows up to Jesus, and he's like, hey, um, this eternal life thing, I would love to add that to my portfolio. Can we figure this out? And Jesus is like, yeah, it's super easy, bro. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me. And he's like, what? You mean we can't just, you know, because everywhere he goes, I mean, he's just got influence. He's... Jesus says, yeah, 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 because Jesus sees that there's an idol in his heart that's dominating an idol of uh, probably multiplicity of idols, not just greed or stuff, but it could be comfort. Because what it says is this, is he looked at Jesus like, I'm super rich. I'm super comfy. And it says that he walked away sad. Do you, you see, do you see the, the study is not to, they, the Bible did the study way, way long ago. That you can have more, you can have comfort and still be totally sad. The best business deal of his life he walks away from. Like you just, like imagine this, you just walked away from the God of all creation. Just said, no, I'm sorry, it's not a, not a good plan. And, and then we see Jesus in the garden. It says, then they said to him, listen to this, ready? Jesus said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said, stay here and keep watch with me. Like he told his disciples, like, man, can you just like stay with me? How many of you guys know relationship is important? It says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And a lot of times, listen, we don't feel like drinking the cup. Can I just tell you, aren't you so glad? Aren't you so grateful that he drank from that cup? A, very discomforting. But it didn't lead to disaster. It led to the greatest moment of human history, salvation, redemption to all who would believe. How did it come? It came via suffering. It came through discomfort. And so we used to always say here at Fountain Church, we used to, in step two of our growth track, we used to say, hey, we want to put you where you're passionate. Like whatever you want to serve in our church, whatever area, we want to put you where you're passionate. And we've changed it recently because I'm like, that's not even biblically accurate. Like we're, we missed it there. Because I said, sometimes, I said, the more important thing is, hey, we want to encourage you to let God shape your passion. Let God shape your purpose. Because there may be some things that God is calling you to do, a.k.a. Jonah. Um, there may be some things that God is calling you to do that aren't comfortable. You're not necessarily passionate about, but you're called to. And when you step into that calling and you see how God is moving, you're like, I love this. And so it's not just about what we're passionate about. It's, God, what are you calling me to? Because I want to let you shape my passion because I know in that place I am going to be the most fulfilled. I may have suffering, but I will still have fulfillment. I'll still have a well on the inside of me. Are you guys with me on this? So, so Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12, it says, For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. 
He had a plan, not just for the moment. He had a plan fixed on eternity. It said that he learned obedience through what he suffered. And we just see this all throughout the scripture. Many times what keeps us from the cup is we don't feel like it. But if we can change the I don't feel like it to nevertheless not my will but your will. If we could shift our language to say, Lord, I really don't, and just be honest, I don't feel like doing this. Like, can I just shoot straight with you? There's sometimes I don't feel like being a pastor. I, I love what I do, but there's moments where you're like, man, a nine to five would be so much easier than this. But not my will, but your will be done. Are you guys tracking with me? It's not always going to feel great. Paul said it like this. Paul said it this way. He said, we are hard pressed on every side, not crushed, perplexed, not in despair, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down, not destroyed. Paul had been whipped, stoned, snake bit, shipwrecked, fighting off bandits all the time, and he had the weight of the church on his heart all the time. But Paul lived in the knots. Paul lived in the not crushed, not despair, not abandoned, not destroyed. How do you live in the knots? Because even, including myself, I tend not to veer toward the knots. I've learned on the journey, many times through what I've suffered, (laughs) to get my eyes up is because Paul had a plan that was not just for now. And I'm going to prove it to you. How did Paul live in such a way? Well, is it because everything is going great? Is it because all the troubles are gone? No, no. He said this. He says, because we know that the one who raised the Lord from the dead will also raise us with Jesus. Where's his head? Eternity. He says, man, there was at one point we felt the sentence of death. But all it did is cause us to get our eyes on the one who raises the dead. It's like, what? Like, what? Like, how do you do that? For me to live as Christ, to die as gain, he said. Paul just, he, it was for real for Paul. This is not my home. And the life that I live in the body, I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to be his hands and feet. I'm going to do whatever he's called me to do. And if I go to be with him, praise God, let's go. Like, 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 oh, I'm in it. Did, did he say, we're going to, you know, God just fixed everything now? No. He's not fixed on the now. He's fixed on, hey, regardless. So I'm going to have joy. I'm not going to be crushed. Like, what are you going to crush? Are you going to take my body? Are you going to take my life? Are you going to take, who cares? Like, is it possible for us to live this way? The same spirit that lives in Paul lives in us. Are you with me? Paul is not superhuman. He's a man. He's a human being just like you and I that simply died to himself, said yes to Jesus, and just went all in. Everybody that I know that, a lot of people that I know, that just go all in, we look at them, we're like, dude, you're like super successful. Yeah, but there was a cost to that. I went all in. But sometimes when it comes to the Lord, it's like, I'm going to like, I'm going to like, put my toe in and just see what happens. It's like, no, man, there's so much more. Paul was focused on the later. So it goes on to say, it says, therefore, we do not lose heart. We live in the knots because we know that he's going to raise us just like he did Jesus. And so we don't lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away. What if that's all Paul had? Outwardly I'm wasting away, like everything's just horrible. He says, yeah, but inwardly I'm being renewed every single day. Like everything is chaos around me, but I'm being renewed every single day. Like this is amazing. He says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. There it goes again, Paul. Always focus on eternity. You see his perspective? My troubles now, and I'm not even tripping. I'm going to be in glory. Eternity is where I'm headed. Paul suffered so much, he probably thought he was going to die every day. So he's just like, man, maybe today's the day. He just resolved in his heart that this is really not my home. 
He says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary. Oh, see, I just don't have a temporary plan. I have an eternal one. An eternal one. Last, last one is this, last well to drink from today, is we need to believe again. This is where I just seem to have like a one-on-one conversation with you. We need to believe again, ladies and gentlemen. Like some of you guys are here today, you don't pray like you used to. You don't trust God like you used to. You don't stand on his word like you used to. Maybe some of you never, never, you've never experienced that. You're just like, man, I don't even know what that's like. I'm just used to doing everything on my own. You're going to have trouble in life, Jesus said, whether you're with him or without him. It's just a whole lot better with him because there's an anchor in the midst of everything. But when's the last time you believed for the impossible? When's the last time you believed that God could do exceedingly abundantly beyond ever beyond what you could ask, think, or imagine? Hey, let, me, let me make it very like practical. There was a, a man who had a son who was demon-possessed. Right? I know some of you guys feel like that about your kids, but this was real. <laughs> this was for real. And he's looking at his kid, and he's looking at Jesus, and he says, I believe, but I need you to help my unbelief because I, um, I just don't know. He said, I, I do believe, but will you help me overcome my unbelief? I, my faith is not perfected. It's not in a stable place. There's doubt creeping in, but I want to be honest with you, Lord. I'm just not, I'm not there, but I want to be there, and I want to have the faith that you've called me to have, but, but will you help me? I just think there's something about that honesty that the Lord just honors. Like, let, me, let, me, let me talk to you about the psalmist when he says, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. When's, do you believe that he'll even answer you anymore? Like, do you believe that he'll respond? A great gauge on that is your time. Your time with him in prayer. And look what it says. He freed me from all of my fears. Like, like do you believe that's even possible? The psalmist did. He believed. And so he prayed. And he said, man, God, you hear me. You know, uh, right when we came to Fountain, I had, uh, we, we didn't want a car payment, so I took all the money we had. I sold my car, took 11000 That's all we had to our name. And I, I went and I purchased a car on Craigslist, right? I thought, you know, I grew up in the streets, so I'll be good. And uh, so anyways, long story short, go to San Jose at nighttime. Stack of money, so smart. And, uh, and, and when I look at the car, I'm like, cool, everything looks good. And so we make the exchange, and then I look at the pink slip, and I see there's an erase mark. He erased the one on the mileage, so it had 156,000 miles, not 56. And, I just, and he was gone. Cell phone not answering. I'm like, oh, no, you didn't. And the whole nine, God, I'm, pl- I'm, like, restarting this church. Like, how could you let this happen to me? Like, I get to the, like... I don't live in the knots. I can get out of the knots really easy. I'm like, everything is destroyed. Everything is perplexed. Everything is. And I'm just like, man, God, what am I going to tell Jackie? I just got, I got robbed. <laughs> I always like bragging how, oh, babe, just, no one can hustle us. Like I know the thing and I just got robbed. <laughs> Pride comes before a fall. So then everybody tells me, hey, where'd you buy it? What, like what happened? I said, I bought it on Craigslist. They're like, ooh. And then this is no joke. Man, that's going to be impossible, dude. He's gone. 
So I was, you know, I, I, I said, okay, I didn't sleep that night. Woke up the next morning and said, Lord, I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek your face. I know, but I got to get rid of this car because it reminds me I got jacked yesterday, right? So I take it to the dealership, and the, the guy down there, I know him personally, he said, hey, I know the guy. Like, this, this car was just sold, and I know the guy who sold it. He's at, a, like, an auction in Fairfield. I was like, bro, can you call him? Right? So he <laughs> called him, and, and the guy at the auction was like, oh, I know who I sold that, that car to. And this guy was importing cars into Mexico. Not supposed to do that. Um, didn't want everything to, to go down, and so long story short, he made the call and the guy was like, oh, man, it was one of my guys that works for me. He, he must have, like, been mistaken. Like, there's been a serious mistake here. Man, showed up at Bernal. I took my brother just in case it, it gets crazy. <laughs> showed up at Bernal. He paid me $11,100. Said, I'm going to give you $100 for your trouble. Do you believe that God can do that? <laughs> like, sometimes we, gotta re- we just got to reflect on his faithfulness. Like, like, do you believe, as the psalmist read, I am worn out and waiting for you to rescue? For, for some of us, that's where it stops. I'm just wore out waiting for you. But he says, but I put my hope in your word. Like, when's the last time you not just read the scripture, but you stood on it? And we're like, man, I'm not moving, God. I'm going to trust you. You are a God of your word. You are a God of your, pro- uh, of your promise. I'm reminded of, of David in 1 Samuel chapter 30. He comes back to Ziklag, and the Amalekites took everything, their wives, all their stuff. And it said that the the grown man on his team just, they cried like babies. A loud wail, they lost everything. Then they wanted to stone David, and David's like, man, pressed, crushed, feeling abandoned, but he doesn't give way to despair. It says that he strengthened himself in the Lord because he believed. He already knew. He was like, no, God, you delivered me from the bear. You delivered me from, I mean, we got Goliath. I've been on the run. I, you got us. And he strengthened himself. And it was in that space that he heard from the Lord, go get your stuff. Go take back everything the enemy has stolen. Some of you guys need that word today. That, that what the enemy has taken, it doesn't belong to him. It's just like, come on, let's, let's get on our face again and believe. Let's cry out to God like we used to. Let's trust that God will move on our behalf. Let's get our eyes fixed up. God is also a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It says anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Do you believe this? How do you seek him? You said, Pastor Matt, have you looked at our world? Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm perplexed, confused, trying to figure it out. I want to close with this. C.S. Lewis, 1948. He says, in one way, I think that we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. Atomic bomb, it just, it's a scary moment for the world. How are we to live in an atomic age? Everybody's asking. I'm tempted to reply, why as you would have had, why as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year? Or as you would have lived when the Viking age, when the raiders from the Scandinavia uh, might come and cut your throat any night? Or indeed, as you are already living in the age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of raids, and an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. Because people are like, how do we live? 
He goes on to say, in other words, do not let us begin exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in an unpleasant way. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors. He says, but we have that still. It is, perfect, it is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing with long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of a painful premature death to a world which already bristled with so many chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all but certainty. He goes on to say, this is the first point to be made and the first action is to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing our children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint. Don't do that. That's a culture thing. Uh, a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. A microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. And so you can put atomic bomb, you can put in that place whatever you like. Whatever you like. And so I leave you with this question is, does your public life reflect an unseen plan? Do people look at you and they're like, pressed, but you're not crushed. Hmm. Persecuted. <laughs> I even hurt you several times. But not abandoned. Like struck down, like I said, watch you suffer, but you're not destroyed. See, discomfort doesn't always mean disaster. Sometimes it means salvation. I'm not trying to make light of your circumstance or what's happening in the world today. I'm just trying to give us perspective. Let's lift up our head. Remember, this is not our home. That not all discomfort leads to disaster. Let's believe again. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name. Lord, I just ask that you would come and do what only you can do. God, I, we just need a move of you in our hearts and our lives, God. I just pray that we would not be dominated by all these other thoughts except heaven, except you, except the reality of heaven and hell, except what you've called us to on this earth, God, except just, I just pray we wouldn't be consumed by that. So I pray that we wouldn't bow down to the idol of comfort and lose our soul. But I pray, God, you'd speak to us in a real way today, in a way that only you can. Help us to believe again. We believe, but help our unbelief. Wake us up. For as we look up, we know our redemption is near. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for joining us here at Fountain Church. For more details on how to get connected, visit us at fountainchurch.cc. We're also on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll see you next time.